WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. Let's start with a plan to revitalize the Spectrum Center and the area around it. Council set to vote this next week on it. Local leaders looking to make a $250 million improvements to the Spectrum Center. It would come with a performance center where the current transportation center sits about a, uh, just across the street. It would bring new training facility for the Panthers along with shops, restaurants, a new plaza. The current transit center would move underground. Many city leaders plan, like say they like the plan, but they're, they're kind of worried about the timing of it all. Joining us today, a very special guest, Charlotte Mayor Vi Lyles. Mayor, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Ben. Uh, let's talk about first up the Spectrum Center because that's what, what you all talked about this past week at, at Council and uh, Council is expected to vote on it uh, this upcoming week. Ed Driggs suggested th th that the Council might be rushing this. What do you say to him? Um, I think that when you're in a city like ours where the dynamics are changing, that we have to be nimble and, and sometimes it may feel like it's being rushed, but if we wait, then we might lose an opportunity. So I think it's a sign of how we are growing so quickly. We have to react more quickly. Um, I assume by saying that, that, that you are in support of this project. Well, I, I do support this project. I, you know, I, hey, we got Mellow Ball. What can I do except support our um, hometown NBA team? But seriously, um, we know how much sports means to the city for the hospitality industry. One in nine people in this employment center of our, our city, they work in hospitality. So when we talk about people going into arenas and stadiums and watching sports, we're talking about what do they spend, what, what the ticket is, what the food and beverage is, how long they stay out on the streets. We've gotten a lot more data that supports as we grow our audiences, we're putting more money back. And after two years of COVID, we need the hospitality industry to get stronger and better. So this deal really requires us to make two choices. Um, the first choice is to just continue as we are now without any commitment by the Hornets except that we have to keep our building. Remember, it's a city-owned building. If the roof leaks, we have to repair it. If we want it to maximize the value, we have to make that possible for them. So the second choice would be to partner with our NBA team and talk about how do we keep a team in our city. So two choices, pretty simple um, for me. Do we do what we're contractually obligated to do with the team or without it? And I believe always that the public-private partnership in every sector of our economy is something that makes us a special place to be. And so I do support this effort. Um, I support the work that we're contractually obligated to do. I'm supportive of the um, tourism funding being used in the hospitality industry as required. And I support the growth of the team. Anybody who has a passing familiarity with the geography of Uptown knows directly next to the site we're talking about right now is a also a very large gaping uh, hole right now in the city, and it's called Epicenter. Um, and as of right now, its future is in flux. What would you like to see happen to the Epicenter? I would certainly like to see that put back on or kept on the tax rolls. I believe that that's important, but I also believe the right use for what we see in our city as we develop the arena, as we look at our own transit center and the Epicenter, I would hope that we get a development plan 
that encompasses all of that to make something really special and unique for our city. You know, this idea of these special districts where people, our cities are developing them, where they're known for them in other communities, this is new to us. So we've got to take some time, understand what commitments have to be made, work with the private sector, especially on the epicenter, as they are making their decisions on who's going to have that property, and be assured that we can um, continue to have the kind of robust center city that we need. What do you think went wrong with the epicenter? You know, there are lots of things that go right with the epicenter. It was built years ago when we didn't have entertainment options. And if you will remember during the Democratic National Convention, sure. um, we had John Stewart do a studio there. Every major news outlet was up at the epicenter. So they did a lot of things right. But you know, this, as I go back, we have to be more nimble about what the economic situation is and how things are changing. So just think years ago, you know, you had the big box cameras and now you have an iPhone. So the epicenter was built as a big box and now we have an iPhone need. And that's what's changing and that's what the epicenter needs to adapt to be. That, it doesn't uh, need all of those flat, you know, you know, stories and height unless they're really used in the way that um, meets our new economy. That leads me to the next question. Um, often. I go into Uptown a, a few times a, a week, and it's often a, a ghost town. You've gone from workers coming to Center City five days a week for years, decades, to, to absolutely nothing for the last two years. And now most banks and companies have some sort of hybrid work schedule. Before the interview, you and I were talking about Bank of America and, and sort of what the CEO, Ryan Moynihan, uh, what he's sort of tasked with. Can all those restaurants and shops and bars, can they sustain themselves on this new normal, and, and if, if they can't, should the city of Charlotte step in? Well, I believe in the um, capitalism that we have to have for those businesses. I also believe that government has a role in keeping those folks available and ready whenever we recover fully from it. I, I see a different, um, perhaps downtown or center city, as you would say, is that I see the lunches coming back. I see the buildings coming back. And I also believe that what we'll do is see a gradual increase where businesses are making a decision to bring back 20%, 30%, and they're going to adjust as we move along. So we um, have been very fortunate to have um, Honeywell created a fund just to keep those dry cleaners, the um, gift shops, the flower shops strong and during the pandemic. And so we were able to keep them in their places with their leases. And I believe that the economy will recover more. Um, I know that what the city's role to do is to make sure that we don't create obstacles to that. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. You, you mentioned an economic recovery, but at the same time, if the big banks and the big companies don't change their hybrid schedule, their return to work, uh, do, you, do you see Uptown having the, the, the population flow of people on a random Tuesday that it had three years ago? I don't think that you'd see it today, but will we see it at some point in the 22-23 um, timeframe? I do believe that there's the opportunity to see it then. I, I believe that, and we talked about this briefly, Companies have culture, and in the culture, you can't do that by Zoom, and you can't do it by home. And as you look at some of the um, ways that people recover, I think banks and the private sector that we have in technology, they will figure this out. 
And when they do figure it out, we'll be ready to assess how we deal with it. But my belief is that we'll see more than the 30% coming back into the center city. All right, let's talk about affordable housing. I, I know it's something that, that has been a priority for you for, for your entire time in office. Um, in the fourth quarter of 2021, nearly a third of homes purchased in Charlotte were bought by investors. Um, we know there's a lot that UM City Council have done in the last few years, but but this has been a, a growing problem in the last uh, year or so that, that at least I haven't seen a, a firm solution on what to do with it. And we know, I mean, home ownership is the biggest wealth builder uh, in American families. What can the city do about these investment properties, if anything? Last week, I was meeting with a number of mayors from across the country, and um, we are all dealing with this crisis that we have. And I believe a couple of th key things. One, I believe, believe that um, private equity firms um, have been very successful in taking their capital and investing it in cities and communities like Charlotte and several of the other cities that we've talked about. And they're investing it in the idea of um, acquiring assets that are real property in high value locations and, and where you're growing the most with the new population. There is very little, and I have to be candid, I just, there is very little that we can do in the way that we, our government is structured to actually change that dynamic. If people come in and, and they get the price for their house and they choose to sell it, government has no role in that. And they could do it for great reasons, you know, sending their kids to college, investing in some place, maybe actually supporting their, you know, parents or whatever. And so we can't we can't do anything about that. What this means is it's a signal again about change and how we're changing our economy nationally. And if we're going to do that, what we have to look at is what is Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the mortgage companies, the the HUD, Department of HUD. What are they going to do? And I, the national scene is that mayors in the cities where this is occurring, they're talking to the state as well as the federal government to say, is this what your expectation is to continue to do or allow, or is there some way that we can address it as a country? Uh, let's talk about transit, because the city's massive regional transit plan, um, at first, the, it was thought that we were going to get the referendum uh, on that once it tells tax this this fall that's not going to happen um how how do we move forward in actionable ways in, in in the next year or so to get something done on transit braxton winston we had him on a few months ago and, and he said quote uh we really have taken a hands-off uh, approach and i think that's been fatal in this process what is your reaction well, i i think that it has not been fatal um, I, so it's not just transit, it's all about mobility. It includes roads, it includes sidewalks, it includes um, greenways and trails. It also includes bike lanes, all of those things that we've adopted plans and we're consolidating into one. So what's making the difference right now is that the infrastructure bill has been passed and the federal government is allocating money to do things. We work consciously with our various levels of government, from working with the mayors across the county, you know, the northern and the southern towns, working with um, USDOT, um, Secretary Buttigieg, you know, we had him come down talking about buses and electrification, all of these things. So what we're keeping our pulse, our hands on the pulse of what's going to be done with that infrastructure money. 
I know that the president is a bridge guy, so I expect that to be a priority. But what I expect that the um, DOT will do, the national DOT will do, is look at cities like Charlotte, Austin, Dallas, Houston, and say, how can we help you um, in transportation with that infrastructure money? And that's what we're going to continue to focus on. But you also know that with this referendum, you've got to get the approval of Republican lawmakers in Raleigh. Um, That's and, true. And they've seemed skeptical. What do you do about that? Well, we continue to work and inform people about the value of this. This isn't about Charlotte. And I know that a lot of times people say that Charlotte doesn't have a good relationship with the legislature. I would, I would challenge that. I have a great deal of respect for Senator Berger and the Speaker Moore. All of that. We have to just continue to express what value we bring to the region. And so this is how I look at this. You know, the six miles from the end of the um, blue line from UNC Charlotte to the Philip Mars plant in Concord and Cabarrus County. We're trying to build a region that's economically sound so that we can actually um, have the kind of place that's resilient and brings um, jobs for people. So what we talk about is not necessarily just we need money for rail and buses. What we talk about is we need money for growth and jobs. If there is a, a factory that's going to be in Gaston County and Pete, they need a lot of employees, how do they get there without us having, you know, real quality of air issues? So this is a combination of a bunch of functions. It's economic development, it's our um, climate change goals, and it's our regionalism goal. Um, someone sent me an email and they said, well, why did Speed Street move to Concord? And I said, because it's time to share the wealth and the income that we have with our surrounding communities. We are only as successful in a city if we can continue to have a successful region. Uh, one of the top priorities before we even get to that point would be, I, I assume, phase three uh, of the streetcar gold line um, and funding for that planning and designing. Uh, I assume you're supportive of that? Absolutely. We are, we're, I am supportive of anything that improves a I mean, my priorities would be how do we serve our citizens? So frequency and timing and methods of moving more, moving more people to work and to home in a reasonable amount of time. I can be critical of how we might do it. But when someone proves that they can do those goals of providing the access that allows people to get from home to work, and I'm going to support those efforts. And the study of the streetcar means that we have to look at that and determine, are they meeting that criteria? Are they serving our public best? And we just have to invest in getting the answer correct. We may not be doing everything right, but when we don't do everything right, we acknowledge it and we go back to our values, to the um, requirements and the priorities we have. Our priorities are to get people from home to work, from work to home. More with the mayor right after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Now, more of our interview with the mayor of Charlotte. This Pride Month, the Carolina Panthers uh, unveiled a new cheerleader, and they're going viral for it because she's the first openly transgender cheerleader in the NFL. 29-year-old Justine Lindsay will join the Top Cats cheerleading squad for the upcoming season. Um, she posted the photo we're posting up right now, saying this is a moment I will never forget, and I cannot wait to show you what this girl has to bring. Uh, in honor of Pride Month, um, your message to the LGBTQ uh, citizens of Charlotte. I believe that every person that lives in our city, every resident, our every resident 
deserves dignity and respect. And I think that what we're doing, you've seen the actions of this council approving a non-discrimination ordinance that extends from gender to hairstyles. We're trying to be a city that's diverse and inclusive. When you look at who's doing the work in our city, everybody has a chance to work. And that's what makes us a special place. It makes us a place where you can come in and start a business. Look at our Latino businesses, our Latino chamber, our black chamber. What will we be doing without the diversity of effort? So I believe that this extends way beyond just having you know, an ordinance. It's really about um, our attitude and respect for people. And I, I have grown up that way. I believe in it. You know, I'm an African-American woman serving as a mayor of a very diverse city. And I have a great appreciation for that. When I see anyone on the street, you speak, no matter the statue, no matter the gender, no matter what you're contributing, as long as you are contributing, we want you sure. in our city. Sure. A final question. At times during this last um, council, you have seemed frustrated with some of your colleagues. And frustrated, um, and I think I'm being kind by saying frustrated. Um, what is your hope going forward uh, to making it a slightly more collaborative, functional council um, that, that respects each other and gets things done for the taxpayers? What I see is that we have the opportunity um, after the election to have a conversation among each other and how do we talk about collaboration as well as decorum. For me, we have to understand that as we meet as a council, Who's watching us? It's just not, you know, you guys in media. It may be a business that's considering a major relocation. How do we want to present ourselves? And I think that that's one. So, but other than that, I think that we will debate and we should debate with critical issues and come to an agreement. But once the vote is taken, then I think we proceed. And we have to understand that. Um, I know that I knew Liz Hare when I was a kid, and she used to say, once the vote is taken, she threw the paper down because she knew that we were moving on. And sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to stop holding back because I didn't get exactly what I wanted to move on because it has been a decision that the council has made. So I'm looking forward to our newly elected council members. I'm looking forward to a great July election. And, um, you know, we'll just see how it goes. If I'm reelected as mayor, then we'll continue to move on a path around housing, transportation, and business and jobs. And people can't forget, there is a, a city election coming in July, and, and, and then uh, it's, it's an odd time and an odd year, but it's important that people get out and vote. Mayor, listen, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much, Ben. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Have a great day. All right, take care. Charlotte Mayor Vi Lyles, more Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint, the country dealing with more gun violence in recent weeks. Charlotte and the surrounding areas also seeing crime tick up. WCNC Charles Brianna Harper looks at what's being done now in response. A violent few weeks across the Queen City and surrounding area as gunfire takes the lives of young babies, teens, and adults. When I was growing up, you didn't you didn't shoot people when you got mad, right? You you, you just didn't. Gun violence in the streets and in the schools too. Charlotte Mecklenburg Police is doing its part to keep guns out of the wrong hands. 
Throughout the month of May, the department seized 413 firearms, the most in a single month dating back to the past seven years. And so far in total, CMPD says they have seized more than 1,200 guns this year. That's up 11% from last year and up 40% compared to the average number of guns seized over the past five years. Progress investigators believe could be life-saving. A brand new community now is being taken over. It's going to be taken over by the police or it's going to be taken over by the bad elements. Ultimately, the priority is to have police and community leaders all involved in working together to help make the difference. To go into their communities that they're supposed to be serving and say, how do we better serve the people that have elected us? Brianna Harper, WCNC, Charlotte. More Flashpoint after this. Before we leave you, folks, come interact with us on social media. Let us know if there's something you want us to cover on Flashpoint, something you want to talk about. And as always, remember to listen and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you find yours. And we'll see you back here next week. Have a great week, everybody. Uh -huh.